Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here today. We have a really great episode with comedian and digital creator Mike Zakarian, who does some great stuff on YouTube. Some NBA-focused discussion with a comedic bent. Real great stuff and a great chat to have because he talks about building his YouTube and Discord community, which is great because we are building a community here too. And if you're a part of that community, you can support us. You can go to thereitispod.com to find support info. We have a newsletter and we're about to incur some charges starting in March because of the amount of subscribers we have. And if you would like to help us keep going with that, then head on over to thereitispod.com, click on support, and find the Patreon and PayPal options to support us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Well, on to today's chat. As I mentioned, he has a lot of insight on building a community. We also just have a great chat about improv and how he got started in it. Let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Mike Zakarian. It's so good to see you again, Mike. It's been too long. Truly has, man. It's I like we were just talking offline. I can't believe it's been since 2017 that it was. Yeah. I like welcomed you to the city, and then I was like, I guess I'll you see did. you in five or six years. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, the pace of New York just. And we had just moved to New York, and you said, "Oh, well, yeah, you're up here. Why don't you do this show that's at the Creek in the Cave?" And like Creek in the Cave doesn't even exist in New York anymore, right? At this point, but just the pace of just like, okay, I'm in classes, and you're meeting hundreds of new people. It's just hard to keep oh, track yeah. of where everybody is and what everyone's doing and then the pandemic happened so it's like, i know yeah. and then everything came to a stop <laughs> right like <laughs> who's doing anything who's still in town so you stayed in new york yeah i stayed in new york i i was in a weird spot where i had just i was working in education for a long time i was working in higher ed at like as a college administrator and i had quit my job i think like two months before the pandemic started to try to I'd been here for like six years and I was like, I want to try doing something creative full time and I want to make a go at it before I decide it's I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just incredible timing. Like we just like pursue your dreams. Then the world was like, well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yes, everyone's got in that boat and it's like, what? Do, so what do I do now? But hopefully you had some cushion. You made it through. You know, we, we got through. through it. I honestly, it feels it feels like I am considering. I get, a, I bet a New Yorker wouldn't agree with this, but I almost feel like a New Yorker now that I stayed through it. And that's <laughs> yeah. not to put down anyone that left, but I just sure. the fact that we stayed as long as we have after that's, what that year and a half, two. Well, I mean, we're still in it, but technically, yeah. yeah. But of course, it was like it felt like a couple of years of everything just being at a standstill, and certainly yeah. was in 2020. And I agree, you know, it was particularly unique in New York. And so, and there were people who were from here who left (laughs) and like that New York is dead guy left, went down to Florida. So it's like, 
Hey, if I'm still here, maybe I'm I am a New Yorker. You're a New Yorker. We're New Yorkers now. We count. We count. I yeah, I do. I weirdly feel like a stronger connection to especially I had moved to Astoria. I'm in I'm in Astoria now. I've been here for three years and I'd moved right before the pandemic started. And I feel way more connected to this community than I think I would have otherwise. Yeah. Because I mean, for one, once you go to Astoria, you don't you don't leave Astoria, yeah. like you don't go into the city too far away. But because you know, we were you really only interacted with your neighbors outside. Everybody was like friendlier because we're all just like yeah. trying to connect with anything or anyone. So yeah, I feel like weirdly connected to a story now. I love, I love it out here. Yeah. You know, speaking of that community, there were still people who will say like, oh, well, no one smiles in New York. No one says hate it. I'm telling you every week when I'm walking down the street, I'm in Brooklyn. Maybe that's it. But there are people who smile and say hello yeah. and wave and <laughs> they definitely do. I mean, I, I see it all the time now and I, maybe it's because we have a dog and if you just have a dog, that's like a, and he's, they actually don't smile at me. They smile at the animal, oh, yeah, but, <laughs> but I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't know if that trope exists anymore. Yeah, I don't think it is. I don't know what changed it, but I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about it. Now you're originally from Massachusetts, the Boston area. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, like 40 minutes outside the city and then lived in Boston for a while uh, and still have family over in Massachusetts, so still go back there. But yeah, I was in Boston for a little while and then I've been in New York, I think a little over eight years now, actually. Did you go to Improv Boston? Is that where you started doing improv? Yeah, when I, so when I was working in education, I, I was in a role where I was having to do like a little bit more public speaking than I was used to. And also like didn't, I just moved back to Boston. I lived in Florida for a little bit and I was like, mm -hmm. I want to just meet some people. So that's how I got, I was like, oh, let me take a class at Improv Boston. And from like the first show that I watched, I was like, oh man, this is awesome. I feel like I would like to do this. So I took a class to try to get a little bit more comfortable public speaking and then just like fell in love with it. And I think I, I was like performing and uh, taking classes at Improv Boston, I think for like a year and a half, a year and a half or so before I'd moved to New York. But that's where that's where we get it all started over in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah, and that's how we met because you were part of a team in in Boston that yeah. came down for what's the now defunct NCCAF. Yeah, which was I think kind of like my first time really going as an improviser and staying overnight and everything. So like you, your team is like, like we were on a show together and meeting you yeah. all was sort of like you know a a, a crystallized moment for me because you all were so funny. Yeah, I remember the same thing because I I, I don't remember myself being so funny, but I remember <laughs> having that moment because we must have connected on Facebook or Twitter or something. Yeah. And I remember seeing uh, like a post saying you were moving and I was like, oh, yeah, that was a funny guy from they, they were on the really funny team. And then I think I had confused because we were also on a team on the show with the team from D.C., I think which was kind of funny because I ended up meeting someone who from the DC team that ended up moving to New York as well, which was kind of funny. Uh, yeah. 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 There were a couple of people. Yeah. But yeah, that was like such a big time, especially like in my improv comedy journey too, where it's like such, like you said, a crystallized moment. Cause that was probably one of the first festivals I traveled to. And that just felt yeah. like a big deal in the moment, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's, it's just so exciting going to festivals. I love going to festivals. You get to see so many people from all over and meet new people. And, you know, when people find improv and, and I'm interested to hear a little bit more about your starting with improv since you were coming from a career and the reason that you're going into it was completely different than most people. But yeah. when you started an improv theater, you find your people. Right. When you go to a festival, you find even more of your people from all over. So it's just like cool, diverse bag of of people. When you started improv, were you like, oh, wait, I've actually found my people here? 
Do you know, I think that took a little bit longer. I, okay. I don't think I felt that way immediately. I felt, it actually felt very different than the like groups of people that I typically hung out with coming just from like a sports background a little bit. Like that mm -hmm. was, that was usually the world I rolled around in. So it was like, oh, a city rec basketball league or something like that. That's kind of where I like would meet new people. Right. But I did find myself like very connected to it once I got going. I think it took a couple of like I really loved what I was doing, but uh -huh. I was pretty not isolated. I would just like not really throw myself into the community right away. Mm -hmm. And then like slowly but surely, I found a couple of people that became my people and then a couple of more people. And then uh -huh. I think I allowed myself to like immerse, like immerse myself into the community. But I do think I was a little hesitant at first only because yeah. everybody that I was talking to came from either a musical theater background, a theater <laughs> background, like they felt yeah. pretty well versed and they were just like flexing a different muscle where I was right. just like finding a different body. And I was like, I don't, <laughs> this is not my world. So I was a little, I was a little nervous. It took me a little while to embrace it. I get that. And you know, another thing about the festival experience is like seeing everyone all the time. When I moved to New York, and just went to like one night of house team shows, it felt like going to a festival. It did. I mean, and there's shows every night, which was yeah. not my situation at, at my old theater in South Carolina, Alchemy. There are three nights a week, but it's not, it wasn't Monday through Sunday, you know, it was like it is up here. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like drinking water through a fire hose. Like, because you're you're like, wait, hold on. I could there's there's four different theaters having shows seven nights a week from like yeah. six p.m. to two a.m. And you're just kind of like, I guess I got to go to everything. Uh, but you're right. It is. It's such a different. It was such a different beast coming here and and seeing it. I remember when I first got here. Like, I really would. I'd go to everything. I would do yeah. as many jams or as many like weird shows and bars like I I could. And then, and then I think I got that out of my system, and I I became a little bit choosy year after that <laughs> yeah i think you do when you first move to a city especially one that has so much to offer you really got to try it all and i don't think it's that you should sustain doing it all right i think you should just try it all to see what works for you where your vibe seems to be matching and stick with those places and then sort of cut out the places that, yeah, that yeah, where the exactly. vibe wasn't fun or, or didn't match exactly <laughs> Yeah, that's the way to do it. So when you moved to New York from Boston, was it to pursue comedy? Like, what was the focus? Yeah, I think so. I had, uh, I came for Del Close Marathon. Um, oh, gosh, I don't even, it was my last year in Boston, or it ended up being my last year in Boston. It came from DCM, and I just had, like, such a cool experience, and I just, like, fell in love with it. I'd also just had gone through a breakup, too, so I think mm. my, that uh, it was, like, a tough one, and I, I think my brain was also, like, we should wash ourselves of everything you're used to <laughs> and get a new surrounding immediately. So it was this kind of perfect storm of experiencing something for the first time. I thought, like, we had a pretty successful DCM experience, too. I had a good show. I had some you know, it's funny. This story is like no longer good because this person has uh, no longer considered nice or good or bad, okay. bad or toxic. But in the moment, it was someone who was uh, well known in the community had just happened to see the show that we had done. And mm -hmm. then at the after party at like the party space for DCM had like come up to me and they're like, hey, man, and like referenced a couple of things that I did that night. And I was like, so starstruck by that. And he oh, had wow. actually encouraged. He was like, yeah, if you were ever thinking about it, like now is it, it's why not? Like, why not move to New York? And I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> and so but I kind of did it half half in half out. Like I I was still working in higher education at the time. I was working at MIT and I, I was like, mm -hmm, I'll apply mm -hmm. for some jobs. And if something works out, then we'll go. And I think within 
so DCM was in end of June. I think mm-hmm. I applied for a job at NYU the second week of July. I think I got hired the end of August and then was here in like the end of October. So it wow. happened. It happened like pretty quickly after. But I think it was like well, like one of those scenarios where I was just kind of like ripe for a change too. I was ready. It was like a perfect storm of like, oh, I found something I really like. This feels like it could be something I want to pursue. Mm-hmm. Also, going through some stuff, I was like, yeah, let's move. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, those are good reasons, and it's nice to have that little you know, someone who is, who's professionally doing comedy to say, you should go for it. I know that that person is now known to be problematic. I can only guess. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, honestly, you can only get there because there's so many. There are quite a few now. What is your response now to getting that boost from a comedian who is good and successful? Like, do you still look at it as like, well, I still had something or is it just too tainted of a memory? Uh, you know, I think it's still like a, a moment of time for me. Like it still yeah. was, again, this like perfect thing that happened. Like it was a perfect timing of everything around whether like whatever you believe in. Right. It just felt like a moment that was happening that like no matter who it came from, it was probably important that I needed to hear something like sure. that. Right. To kind of get right. me to wherever I was going to go next. So I still am able to think about that. I, like the story sucks now <laughs> like, yeah not, right because it was right. this, it was this moment or like the story was always such a fun one to share being like oh someone from up on high it was right. like you are next son <laughs> and, and instead it's like well <laughs> but still the moment itself in time was pretty it's pretty sure. cool experience right and it still was encouraging it is it's that is a tough thing to reconcile i remember years ago going through my notes and coming across some bit of advice I had read online that someone said, and it was, I thought, really solid advice. And I, so I, I was like rereading the quote and was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And then I saw who said it and it was Bill Cosby. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I asked some people like, this Did just you... happened. And they were like, well, if it's good advice, right. you know, maybe still take it. Just, yeah. just, just ignore forget where it came from. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, don't give him the credit. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the advice is still helpful. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that approach. Yeah, I mean, because I don't know. There's so many just garbage people. Like, what I can know. you do at this point <laughs> to avoid, know. you know, like we should not not keep them on a pedestal, but, you know, throw a rock. You're going to rock. <laughs> garbage who maybe also said something nice one time. Right. So you're in New York. You're pursuing it. You went to... Did you go to UCB? Did you go to Pitt as, or Magnet as well? Do you know what I ended up doing? This is, oh God, this is probably like the worst improv advice. But I, <laughs> so I moved here when I was 30 and I took one, I took UCB 101 with Chelsea Clark, who I will go down saying is like one of the best instructors I've ever had. Like okay. I absolutely love Chelsea Clark. I think it was like one of the funniest improvisers I've ever seen. And was like a great, because sometimes you can be a great improviser and be a, a crap teacher. They're like sure. top of both. Uh-huh, and uh-huh, um, uh-huh. But that class, I think it was like mostly 18 and 19 year olds, which again is fine. But I just had this moment while I was in there where I was like, okay, I don't think I have the patience or and time is probably not the right word to start over again. Like I had just gone through uh-huh. 101 through 501. I was doing tour code improv Boston, which I know is still very different from like what you're doing in New York. But I was like, I think I can carve out the stuff that I want to do. And that's because mm-hmm. I wasn't seeing improv as like a career path. Like I didn't think I was going to be a professional improviser for the rest of my life, but mm-hmm. I liked 
the skill set it did help with. And I like doing it with people that I love to do it with. So I was like, how can I make that happen? Mm -hmm. And so what I did was just try to become with friends with funny people who were performing regularly. <laughs> but so like, I still, I did like cage match a few times with a couple yeah. of different, I did a lot of indie stuff where I, I was a part of this group called physically bold comedy, which probably should have come up with a better name, which was actually <laughs> with a, a handful of friends from Boston, Molly Brenner and Lori Barducini and Dyer. And, oh, cool. you know, we, we were kind of like doing our own thing, but still doing it in a way that it felt like we were all getting better. We were still getting good stage time. We kind of were in charge a little bit more. Yeah. And that's what I realized I wanted to do. Like I didn't want to I wasn't like trying to get on Herald night. Like I, I think that yeah. would have been cool if it happened and I would have loved it. I'm sure. But I was like, mm -hmm. that's not my goal. So if that's not my goal, should I be, you know, paying attention to the UCB class Twitter updates so I can yeah. register for a class and then <laughs> yeah. give someone 500 bucks, you know, like <laughs> right. I was like, what? So I, that was a little hard for me, I think, because it, when you have the class path, it's like a blueprint of what you're supposed to do. And mm -hmm. I found that blueprints are helpful, like even just for your brain, right? You're like, okay, yeah. well, I completed this and now I go do this. And so not having that was a little, a little shaky at times, but I felt, I, I felt like I was just using my time a little bit better than if I had gone down the other route. That makes a lot of sense because I've been in like maybe a coaching session, just a random practice. And in those, in a couple of those situations, a person was sort of teaching like they were doing a workshop mm -hmm. or a class. And it's like, well, I've been doing improv for 10 years. I know how I want to do it. <laughs> you know, right. like I, I don't necessarily need notes that are like, well, this is what you should do. Uh, I don't have to. If you want to just keep doing it, you can do practice groups, you can play right. shows, you can do cage match, you can sign up for that kind of stuff. And if you want to hone or, or you know, put up some shots or whatever, so to speak, get train, you can just do a practice. You can just say, hey, you're really good at this kind of thing and I want to get better at that. Can I get a group together and we do a couple hour session on Saturday? Yeah. That to me makes a lot more sense than going through a whole curriculum. Yeah. I also just loved going to see the people that I thought were great, you know, like yeah. any, and that could be an, an individual that's great, a team that's great, like a form that's great. Right. And I, I always found that to be like the best way that I absorbed and learned was just watching people do stuff. And then of course you need reps, but that I always felt like pretty fulfilled after going and like seeing a good show and being like, man, that was great. And here's why it was great and breaking that down. Like I, I always found that to be super, super helpful. And that that is what, and maybe that's what my brain did to justify not not doing the classes. But that that was that I always found that to be very beneficial. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like where you are, you know. Mm -hmm. And like, who knows? A year from now, I might. You know what? I've never taken UCB classes. Let me do it proper because maybe that's just where my head will be at. But right, that's what people have to kind of realize, especially if they move to a new city where, where there's so many options, I think it's great to say, where actually am I and what yeah. do I actually want right now and what's going to be the best way to do it, as opposed to the standard of, well, let me go to this school and give them $3,500. Right, yeah. right. I think, I mean, I, I really do like the thought of being like, why am I doing this? Like, what, what are my goals here? Like, where am I trying to go? I do think it's just like a helpful conversation. Well, whatever the field to just be having like every six to eight months. Like I, I, I just find it very helpful. Like, how am I measuring this? Is this what I want to be doing? And why is this what I want to be doing? Where is this going? Like I, those, those questions always cause a ton of stress <laughs> for my brain, but I, I yeah. find them to be very helpful. Yeah. 
It, it reminds me of a quote from Dolly Parton, who will never be problematic. <laughs> <laughs> she said, find out who you are and do it on purpose. Yeah. And I, I love that because it's it's living life with purpose that really mm-hmm. matters and, and makes a difference. Not just doing stuff because it's what people say you should do or it's the like going thing, the going trend. Uh, it, it should be like, well, who are you and where are you and what do you want to be and focus on that with real intent? Well, and I, you know, I, I feel like I'm guilty of this where I, I think for my first five or six years here, a lot of the stuff that I would say is like to, you know, other comedians, to friends, to family, it's like, oh, well, I'm just blindly throwing as many darts as I can. And yeah. I just want to see what sticks, right? Like I'm right. just, I, I want, and that was what I was doing. And I mean, honestly, in that moment, that was probably what I should be doing. Like, I'm just sure. trying to figure, cause it helps me figure out what I like too. Exactly. Like I was saying, like when you first moved to a city like this and there's so much to offer, just like try it all. Yeah. You don't have to commit. Yeah. Now I've like morphed into something else where it's like, okay, I, I know what's sticking and why it's sticking and anything else. Like I can't, not that I can't waste my time, but I need to value my time in a different way now. So like if any dart I'm throwing is like calculated in a way, it's not blind anymore. It's like, okay, I'm doing this because the, for this reason, or maybe because it's fun, like that counts as a good reason too. I'm doing a show because it's fun, but it's a little bit more calculated than it was, you know, say like three or four years ago. Yeah. I mean, everyone's in a different place. There are people who can do multiple nights a week post pandemic that's a little hard for some people yeah. getting back yeah. into that gear but wherever you're at just you know don't put too much on yourself cuz people can get right. burnt out there, there are people who will certainly get burnt out if they put too much on their plate so you really need to think okay where am i at right now and what's going to work for me mm-hmm. what's what's going to keep me from burning out and what's going to also move me forward yeah yeah totally so, agree one of the things you're doing now, or like the, I guess maybe it's the main thing you're doing with comedy now is sports related comedy. Yeah. I, so it was, man, if you had told me like a couple of years ago, this is what I'd be doing. I'd be laughing at you hysterically, but <laughs> during the pandemic, I started doing some basketball content and it was just, yeah. at first it started as a, like a live stream while the game was going on. It was like me and my friend, Steve Genty and Justin Catchins. We started, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we called it like bubble ball. Cause that's the NBA was playing in the bubble at the time. And we were just like, hang out almost like a happy hour while the game was going on. Yeah. And it was for like four people. No one was tuning in, but it was like my first experience with it and then i needed something like i felt like i was going crazy i needed to like scratch the creative itch and so i started doing like a daily show i started doing like a daily morning youtube show that was around you know last night's basketball action i got there was this thing called nba top shot which Mm -hmm. yeah maybe okay maybe you've heard of it which is Mm-hmm. Like a web three, it's basically like digital collectibles. Uh, instead of like cardboard cards, you're collecting like a LeBron James dunk or something like that, uh-huh. which was a very interesting experience. But what was what was cool about it is it like provided this opportunity to talk about basketball in a way that it was a thing people were excited about, so they were tuning in for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it's just kind of morphed into this like daily show where I mean I'm probably streaming, gosh, like 14 hours a week maybe. Dang. Yeah, I know. And it's in like where I'm running a discord that has like 15, 1600 people in it. And which again, I thought discord were for children. And so the <laughs> fact that this, and I, the whole thing is such a bizarre development. Um, yeah. But it's been so cool. It's been such a, such a fun journey to, you know, start something that one I'm like in control of, which is nice. 
and like control my schedule and control my workload and all that stuff. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a fascinating, a fascinating experience, but in like a new kind of way to use both like the community building skills that I gained as an educator for so long, my mm -hmm. improvising skills, cause it's a live stream. So I've got like, the, mm -hmm. I'm interacting with the chat. I'm like by myself. So it's just like weird mesh of everything that I've ever studied <laughs> like, yeah. into one thing. It's been kind of fun. No, that's awesome. When, when things merge like that, that's like, okay, this is like a dawning moment here. Mm -hmm. It is a lot to start recording, doing live YouTubes from home and running a Discord. So how did you develop that? I'm sure it took time. Yeah. But, uh, like doing it alone. How did you manage it? I, gosh, I don't know. I mean, they, my wife always jokes, it's like, oh, that's just like straight white guy energy where it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to turn the camera on and people feel like they should have to listen to you. <laughs> but yeah, I just started like a couple of times, like did it a couple of times. I had fun with it and mm -hmm. I felt like it was a skill set that I was still going to have to like work on, but it was seeming to come naturally. Like for mm -hmm. 45 minutes to an hour, I felt like I could comfortably talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was, because I listened to a lot of podcasts and take in a lot of uh, NBA media. I was mm -hmm. like, I think I can do this a little bit. I don't want to say differently, but I, I felt like I could have my own spin on this where mm -hmm. I'm not like doing full-blown comedy. Like I'm not doing sports comedy bits, but I'm providing like a humorous tone to like the basketball world. Right. And there seemed to be like a, I could carve out a niche for that. And, and it's like changed over time. Like the formats changed a little bit. I've gotten to a better feel for, I've realized that I need to prepare more than I was before, where I was like, as an improviser, I was like, I'll figure it out. And now yeah. it's like, no, you have to keep the illusion that you're like figuring it out in real time while still <laughs> doing the preparation. <laughs> so what does that look like? Is it just knowing what happened and what everyone's talking about and already making comedic connections so when you go on they're a little bit more at the tips of your fingers or, yeah. or what so i go through my more so my show's at 9 a.m every morning mm -hmm. and i wake up at seven and what i do is I, I try to watch a little bit of the basketball the night before but shout out the nba yahoo does it too but they put these to get these like 10 minute condensed games together which is a beautiful mm -hmm. thing okay um just in case like there, I want. I'll know the main headlines, but I just want to make sure I got a feel for like what happened the night before. Right. You want to miss LeBron's meltdown for a call? Exactly. Which, I mean, that call was pretty clear. It, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was so bad. But yeah, so like, so make sure that I have like a good grasp of what happened the night before. Then kind of try to find like two or three things that I can blow out a little bit and talk a little bit more. And then that's where it's like, okay, do I have a take on this? And not try to force it. I don't want anything to feel forced. If I don't have anything that's cool, we'll just keep moving. But if I have like a fun spin on something, then I'll like, I'll, I won't like write the full bit out, but just like jot some notes down of like, this is where it's going to go. And then hope that my brain in the moment will like, remember, you know, go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a really good instinct to not force it, which I think <laughs> is one of the tough things that comedians, and maybe even improvisers, but certainly stand-ups or just comics in general, can feel like, you know, there's a joke here, so let me just go for it, even though it's not fully fleshed out. And then the other challenge here is so many people want to be the guy who can just be off the cuff without having to think about it. And the reality is no one was ever that. You know, they right. all had it kind of in their head a little bit. Absolutely. I do. Yeah. And I, I like to be able to, I figure out, how did I phrase this? I was talking about this with somebody recently where it was basically like, you want it to seem like the train could go off. Oh, that's a bad analogy right now, but oh, yeah, we'll, yeah, continue. Yeah. we'll continue. We'll continue. But like yeah, the train, but yeah. 
could go off the rails at any point, right? Like you, that's what I want the audience to feel like could happen. Cause that's like when I'm, it feels like, Oh, Mike's popping off about a thing, but I very much know where the train's going. Like right. I'm very much in control of where it's going. And like, like no every the sports show, they have a meeting earlier that day about what they're going to talk about. They know what their takes are. Right. They exactly. may not necessarily know everything about someone else. Like Chris Broussard may not know exactly everything that Nick Wright's going to say or yeah, exactly yeah. what's going to be in the graphic they show. But they each individually have notes on what they want to hit. Right, right, exactly. And I think the one thing that's been cool about the show that we've been doing that like I think makes it unique is that it's so interactive with the chat. Mm -hmm. So if Mm -hmm. the chat says Mm -hmm. something crazy, I have the ability to pull it up on stage or on screen. And so they feel like they're a part of the show. And and it was funny because early on, that was something I was using as a crutch only because I was like, I don't know if I can go 45 minutes to an hour on this. But what I'll do is like, you just riff off the chat that will I'll almost like crowd work. Right. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. what I didn't realize what was happening in the moment, it was even though I was using it for my own benefit, it was creating this world in which they were also a part of the show. And so yeah. they feel this, especially the people that have been on, because I've been doing it for like over two years now, the people that were there at the beginning, they feel like a deep connection to the success of it. So as it's grown, they feel like they are a part of the growth. And in a way, I mean, they are, they like, I don't think I'd be doing this if they weren't here f- from the beginning. And so it's been really cool to like continue to cultivate that kind of community as it grows. And it's, it's fun. And I think that's what like separates it from a normal show that you would see is like, very unless you like call into sports radio right very rarely is your voice heard and this isn't a real right. time where people get to see it which yeah, obviously cool. presents challenges as well but for the most part it's been a very positive experience this feels like a very organic thing that has come up if someone were to think someone who is in comedy were to try to think of a topic to address and and make a show around and build a show around sports is a really good one especially doing it the way you're doing it because people love to talk sports. They'll talk about it in the barbershop. They'll talk about it on the train. They'll talk about it in the schoolyard. They'll talk about it in the bar. <laughs> and it's it's and they'll listen to people talk about it for hours and then call into those shows. Right. So it really lends itself to long form discussion. Yeah. It's, it's there're not a lot of topics like that. There's sports, there's politics, there's religion. I don't what else is there that that would really lend itself to so much commentary? Yeah, I think you can get away with it with some like pop culture stuff, too. Like, I think there's sure. some where mm-hmm. I think it's probably sports is probably closer to pop culture because it feels a little less like third rail <laughs> hot button. Right. Where <laughs> yeah. like you can have strong takes about things, but like it doesn't no matter. Like these takes don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Something that's in the national discussion. People can be legit angry about. It's hard. Right. To, yeah. right. Right now, people, it's just like, is it LeBron or Michael Jordan? It's like, fine. Who cares? Like, none. this doesn't <laughs> right. affect anything. I don't, that's <laughs> why I never liked it when you watch something on SportsCenter. Right? Well, when you watch something on ESPN and there's a debate about LeBron or, or Jordan, there's some... I don't know if this went viral, but like Jason Williams and Jalen Rose arguing... Oh. Who would win a one-on-one? And Jason Williams is like, LeBron is bigger, faster, stronger. He'd probably win. Yeah. I mean, he's more, he's got a lot of skill, like maybe more in Jordan. And Jalen gets up and is like, oh, he's, he's literally standing up and walking around the studio. And I always hate 
when people bring that kind of energy to this because like it's not that important guys it's not and honestly there's no world in which it happens either like this isn't even it's not even like a hypothetical of something that could happen it's right. literally someone in their late 50s talking right. about playing somebody in their 30s like it's never gonna happen right 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 like you can't get their prime them up against you know the closest you could get is some sort of ai thing or yeah which honestly we're probably not that far away from i know right <laughs> And it's still going to be tough, you know? Yeah. Like, a computer's going to be like, oh, it'll definitely be the bigger, stronger person. Right, of course. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I say that, and it is LeBron. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. Like, it is something that people can talk about. They can get a little worked up or passionate about it, but they can also let it go as the conversation is over. Which is nice, too. And I, I think, like, that's what I like about it, is that maybe there'll be a back and forth that feels, it's never heated. But that feels like intense, and it's like whatever. We're gonna go like there's 14 other games tonight. Like we just you just kind of like move on to the next thing, which is nice. It's good. Has there been any sort of study of how people on the debate shows do it that, or any of those sports talk shows do it that you have tried to incorporate into how you present? Do you know what I've done? Similar to improv, honestly, it's like the the people that I like, I try to study. So Mm -hmm. there's this great podcast that's now under The Athletic. They're called No No Dunks. They used to be the Basketball Jones back in the day. They had their Mm -hmm. uh, TV show on NBA TV called The Starters for a little bit. And I think they do some of the best stuff where they've just, there's like these three guys and they've created a really good environment. You can tell they care for each other and they like each other. So when they go back and forth, it's more, it's not like first takey on ESPN or something like that. It's just right. like a, you're watching three dudes who are really good friends hang out. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do like, tend to like those shows a little bit more. Absolutely. I think about all of my favorite podcasts. Like I'm a big, uh, the watch fan on the ringer, which is, they talk about mm-hmm. TV and movies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just cause they're, they've been friends for like 35 years and it's yeah. like, yeah, that's who I want. <laughs> I want to feel like I'm a part of this, like the inside jokes that you guys have spent decades establishing. Right. So that's kind of where I've been putting most of my focus is just like finding other things that I really like and trying to figure out why I like them. And Good. then Good. the other thing that I hate that I've been doing now is, studying like algorithms and how YouTube mm-hmm. works and <sighs> and it's it feels so gross and I got to tell you I've made like a couple of slight adjustments and then it opens doors and it's like okay I mean it's there's an algorithm for a reason so it's like how you title yeah. things and thumbnails and stuff like that and that's not my skill set so that's taken yeah. some time to like figure it out same same yeah. same yeah it's the I don't mind adjusting titling or mm-hmm or whatever, that sort of stuff I'm fine with. What I hate is when the way the algorithm works makes you have to do things beyond what is long-term sustainable without a team. Right, that's... And and that would be a a team that changes over several times because people are going to get burnt out trying to beat the algorithm. It's really hard. It is really hard. And especially for creators like of my size, where you're you're kind of full time, but you don't have the resources to be full time. Maybe you're like you have the resources to make yourself full time, but not a team yet. It can be like a challenging uh, burnout's a real thing. Like that is something even though I love what I'm doing right now, I have to be like very cautious of like what my schedule looks like, because Mm -hmm. I've learned. Because I now I do YouTube shorts, which Mm -hmm. because that provides way more exposure, I get more subscribers and then that helps the live show. Uh. So which is, you know, basically TikTok for YouTube is what YouTube shorts are. But what I've learned is that they pop between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. and then like 8 p.m. and 10 30 p.m. 
that's when they pop because that's when people are on their phone. Yeah. And so now it's like, all right, well, I got to be doing shorts. Uh, I don't do them at night, but I do them in the morning. Like I'll just fire them out in the morning, like in between my research for the, the yeah. live show. So it is kind of, it's weirdly like it. you tell someone, you're like, oh yeah, I'm a YouTuber. I'm a content creator. You're like, okay, sure. And I'm like, this is like a full-time job now. I'm like, it really is. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> and you, you kind of do have to like shut down a lot of things mm -hmm. in order to focus on it full time. But like, you know, not everyone's in a position to fully shut down, but like, if you right. could, man, it would be great. <laughs> right. I know. And that's why I kind of, one other thing I will say that's been like fun about finding this and this will kind of connect is that there's like metrics, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I think for mm -hmm. comedy for a while, it was really hard. It was like, yeah, I think I'm getting, I'm becoming a better improviser. I think my standup's getting a little bit better. I think mm -hmm. I'm slowly becoming a better actor. It's really hard to have metrics though, to show you like that, that is, I mean, it's like, yeah, you book something, but there's so many external factors right. that go into that, right? That's not really if you're good or not, or if you're getting better or not. We're here every month. I can look at Every single number that like, whether it's subscribers, views, how long yeah. they watch, when they yeah. watch, like the rate and all of those numbers. I'm like, OK, we're doing good. So like we make these goals. If it continues to progress, we continue to do it full time until it stops. Mm -hmm. But it's been so nice to have that, which I know you're probably not supposed to like live and die by numbers, but it's been it's been nice to have those metrics. Sure. For some people, it's going to be worth like knowing and then letting it mm -hmm. just kind of like they, they hold on to what can help and then they just don't worry about the rest right and sometimes it'll just be good to hire some an assistant somebody oh, who can do i would it. love yeah to have somebody else crunch those numbers and then to, and then like present them to me in a way that's not going to hurt my feelings while also giving me <laughs> constructive feedback instead right. of being like hey this video you did on lebron was 30 seconds long and no one watched for more than three seconds yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, okay <laughs> that is like the weird thing that i kind of hate about content is that with people that i follow on instagram I can know, I've, at first it was, I can know within three seconds the bit that they're going for and yeah. whether I like it. Right. Because I know them well enough and I can be like, yeah, 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 I'll like that. I'll, you know, I haven't even watched the whole thing and I'm already yeah. like, like I know it because going. I'm like, I know where they're going with that and they'll do good with that bit and I'll like it. So they it gets a little more attention. Now I've gotten to a point where it's like, I can watch it on mute and I'm like, I see what they're doing. I get it. I'll like this. I haven't even heard any of it. <laughs> and I, I hate know. that. I it, hate it, it and I want to just throw my phone in the garbage because I know. of it. I know. <laughs> it's like, you know, my brain is that used to it. Oh, I don't want it. I don't want it. I know. It. It's tough. It's tough. I'm sure we'll <laughs> learn like 20 years from now how bad all of this is for us. But in the moment, here we go. <laughs> and there, there are people saying it now. I've no. shared it in my newsletter that there are people like, yeah, this isn't really great for your brain. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, well, it's too late. <laughs> I know it's too late now. We're too addicted to it in improv. And maybe you could say comedy in general, but I feel like especially in improv, you have a camp that is really not into sports and knows nothing. And then a camp that really, really cares about yeah. sports. And I say that to preface, let's talk a little about the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. might be some people listening who are like, I don't know who is LeBron James. It's like, All yeah. Right. Does he play football? Come on, guys. <laughs> but we just had these crazy trades. What was your take on, on it? It totally I shifted the West. I know. I just, I adopted the Denver Nuggets as my Western Conference team, even though I'm a Boston Celtics fan. But I was like, I really like what the Nuggets do. I, I'm a big fan of Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. I do think because the NBA was like the first thing that came back in the pandemic and 
they were like really yeah. like when I think about when I was starting to feel better about what was happening, I think about Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray just because they were like some of the first games that I remember yeah. watching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was a little bummed for them with the Phoenix trade because they went from like, oh, yeah, they're the favorites in the West to now, you know, Phoenix was like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it right now. And yeah, yeah. I think, and everybody's take is always like, well, you know, it is Kevin Durant and Chris Paul that could get hurt. And it's like, yeah, but so could anybody. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, so the Celtics. So yeah, could, exactly. Yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly. If the if, if Tatum gets hurt, the Celtics are screwed. If Giannis gets hurt, the Bucks are screwed. Like, that's the same for everybody. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. I think the Suns have a real shot at winning the championship. And Brooklyn got some stuff back. I was happy for Brooklyn yeah, that they yeah. didn't get absolutely burned by this. <laughs> <laughs> and some people will say, well, before they had a game together, people are like, come on, Brooklyn. Like, they're just in a rebuilding era again. I guess maybe in two years we'll be yeah. excited about Brooklyn. But they've had some solid games. They, yeah, they're, they're, you know. <laughs> it looks like they're going to lose a bunch of competitive games. <laughs> like they're going to yeah. be in it until the fourth quarter. But I, I think I was nervous they were going to get really hosed. And yeah. the fact that they get all those picks, Mikel yeah. Bridges is like a super likable, fun player. Yeah. They've got Cam saw... Thomas, who everyone's jacked up about. Yeah, maybe the Brooklyn Nets tickets won't go down as much as I thought. <laughs> yeah, those... well, they they have a bunch of selfless guys on the team now too. Like they've mm-hmm. got a bunch of guys who have been like role players because they've had other people around them like Kevin Durant or mm-hmm. Devin Booker, mm-hmm. whoever. Right. And now they're all kind of equal. There's no like superstar of the bunch. So I think yeah. it will be fun. It kind of reminds me of the Celtics when Tatum and Brown were still like super young and they weren't like superstars mm-hmm. yet. I think Isaiah Thomas was like their best guy at the time, mm-hmm. but it was a bunch of everybody had to give you like a B plus, but there were <laughs> yeah. no C's out there. It was just like right. B pluses straight around. And that, that, that's fun to watch. That's a fun team to watch. Yeah, I, I'm paying attention to them. I was before the season, I was like, I was already done with Kyrie. Yeah. Um, and like. yeah, but I was, I was pulling for Ben Simmons to come out of the funk. And I, I think he, he, he kind of did on a couple of games and now he's like back in the, in a bad headspace. Yeah. They, I mean, I think he played 12 minutes his last game. Yeah. Like coming like 12, off the 14 bench. Minutes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just, I hope it still turns around for him, but I don't know what that will take. And I don't know if that's even the right culture for it to happen for him. Yeah. I, and I don't even mean this like facetiously. I, I almost feel bad talking about it now too. Like, yeah. because it felt like you could be critical for a little bit, but like clearly something's going on, whether yeah. he just like, I don't want to do this anymore. We're, we've all been in situations and jobs where we're like, I hate this. Yeah. And that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. That's, and, I heard someone else say that and they, they even shared the sentiment of it's really just sad. It's yeah. not even, it's not even like let's beat them over the head or criticize them like they maybe would another player. Right. It's more just like there's something going on here and it's sad. And it's sad. Yeah. You just want you want the person to be at least happy, you know, and it's yeah. like yeah. You know, you're playing. You're in the NBA. I want you to have a good time. Like this should be yeah. this should be fun. And if it's not, I hope you're able to pivot to something. I mean, you just get so much money. So it's I know. Just, how do you how do you? But it's like I think at this point, maybe people would even say, hey, go do you. If, yeah. If this is not good for you, I'm not going to blame you for turning that money down. Because I, I think the take of he's stealing money was met with so much vitriol. Yeah. <laughs> like there are a lot of people who are like, no, 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 don't do yeah. that. They're like, who from from billionaire owners? Is that who you steal <laughs> right. the money from? That's fine. We're okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So it's you know, I I hope he 
hope he gets in good place. I'm pulling for him maybe in a different way than I was before because it's more Absolutely. just like I'm more hoping for his head and his heart to get in a good place. I think that's um, the right way. That's the right take, I think. I think it's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Uh, things change so much. I, I think it's going to be Celtics and Suns, but, you know, I don't know that uh, – who knows with the potential injuries that can happen between yeah. now and the, and the playoffs, but I, it doesn't look like it's anybody else. I, I have never pulled for an NBA team. I always just pulled for people, and I kind yeah. of, in my heart, because when I grew up, loved the Lakers. Yeah. But I never really counted them as my team. I don't have a jersey. I only ever pulled for the Duke Blue Devils. It's only basketball. Yeah. Pull for okay. it. Until the finals last year. Well, even before the playoffs last year, I was like, you know what? I'm a Warriors. I'm on board, not just with Curry, but I'm going to pull for the Warriors. Yeah. And now they're having such a. They were a weird season. They're weird having season. such a weird season. Uh, you know Curry, what? The, when he was playing, he was playing amazing. Oh, so good. I, I'm kind of with you in that. I mean, obviously, I was rooting for the Celtics against the Warriors, but there is something cool. I've just found an appreciation for greatness in any mm-hmm. field. Like, I mm-hmm. just like seeing. I mean, what a what a take. I like seeing great stuff. Great, <laughs> but there <laughs> but is you some- know, I mean, no, it's a it is a distinction because there were people who hated on Brady, even though there was greatness there. But they just he was doing well, so they hated on him. And yeah, yeah. There are people even did that with Jordan. Yeah, and it'd be easy to do that with Curry right now. Uh, yeah, and I'm like so far the other way. Like if I was going to, as a Celtics fan, lose to anyone, it was like really cool. What Curry did, I think it was game four. Um, oh, God. What, it was one yeah. of like the most impressive things. And I'm just like, man, you can't be mad. It reminds me of like when LeBron was at his height too, where yeah. I was just like, man. And again, it was against the Celtics. It was at like game six, Heat <laughs> Celtics where LeBron came out and he was a machine. And I'm like, you're just seeing something that you might not ever see again. So I'm just like grateful yeah. that I get to see it. Yeah, we live at su- in such an interesting time where, you know, with like I'm in my 40s, I got to see Michael Jackson and Prince and Jordan and Sinatra and Whitney Houston and yeah. Mariah Carey and and Aretha Franklin was still living and BB King <laughs> and <laughs> and then uh, you think all the athletes, Joe Montana and, and Gretzky and Tyson and all these people. Mm-hmm. And then LeBron and Kobe and Curry. I mean, and then like what women's soccer, like yeah, what well, like Serena and, I mean, and Serena. now the now the Williams sisters too, and and Tiger Woods. Like we live in a pretty interesting time to be able to see all of these things. Yeah, I I still remember I was going I was on a train from Chicago to Holland, Michigan this summer for we're going to a wedding and there's no easy way to get to Mich- that part of Michigan. <laughs> and we, I remember on my phone, like streaming uh, Serena's it was, I think Serena ended up losing that match, but it was just like, man, I don't know if we'll ever see this again. Like I got to yeah. see this, you know, I, yeah. I love that feeling. Yeah. Gosh, such greats out there. And we are here able to see it. And it is yeah. something that's, it's better to appreciate it than to hate on it because they're not on your team. Absolutely. I don't well, have, I can't just, it's too much energy to hate on stuff like that. I like, right. I can't, I'd rather have fun. Yeah. Well, it's like um, Durant got such a wonderful warm welcome from the Phoenix Suns fans the other night, which is yeah. like, Oh, that's, that's just nice to see. Yeah. He got this huge, nice ovation. Whereas at the Super Bowl, there oh. were people who were just being honored. <laughs> they weren't that... even playing in the game and the Philly fans were booing. 
I made that joke. I was like, at the, after they lost the game, I was like, maybe, maybe the lesson here is don't boo the Walter Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Like, <laughs> right, right. Maybe like, that's what, what we learn. Oh, Philly fans, <laughs> they could be rough. I know. They could be mean. But we say that as like Kansas City fans are still doing the chant. So like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I know, I that's mean on a whole other level, guys. That's a different mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're at the end of the episode. Uh, let's create something together. And I'm really interested in hearing how you would walk someone through starting a YouTube live and a Discord, maybe. Like, how how does one go about doing that? Yeah, well, I would say if it's a Discord, I'd go find a young person and talk to them because that's that's what I had to do. Uh, I, I, everyone in the chat was like, oh, you got to start a Discord. And I was like, wait, what? I, for the YouTube stuff, though, I think this the lesson I learned, and I mean, you YouTube algorithm will tell you to do this too, but I think this is across fields too. I don't think this is just for like YouTube. I think like just throw yourself into it and do it. Like you have to commit mm. to it. I think a lot of us have ideas and this isn't even me trying to pat myself on the back, but a lot of us have ideas and we like run them out there for a couple of weeks. And then I, I'm like this with the gym, you know, I got three mm -hmm. strong weeks and I'm like, yeah, I'm back into it. I'm a big gym guy now. I care about my health. And then I, <laughs> I'm old, so I miss a day because my arm hurts and then all of a sudden i missed three weeks and right. it's the same thing like you have to create a schedule stick to the schedule and take it seriously like if you want people to take it seriously you gotta take it seriously and that's i messed around with it for a couple of months doing a show here or a show there and i was like no let's announce to the world we're doing a daily show monday through friday and you don't have to do a daily show but like right. i was like hey this i'm taking this seriously now so that's that's what I would do. I'd mess around with it for a little bit, try a couple of like test runs and like know that it's going to be bad. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you don't don't go buy a three thousand dollar camera for streaming. You can use <laughs> use your webcam, use whatever you have right now and then get a feel for it. And and then like just keep just keep grinding away at it. I mean, it's like anything you got to got to take it seriously and you got to put in the work and. And it'll happen. It will happen. I think. I mean, I, I, it's been cool. This journey's been fun because I've been connected to a lot of other people doing similar stuff, mm -hmm. and it's been cool to see like their approach and theirs are different than mine. There's some people who can make very strong, polished videos and put those out there. Yeah. And that's the skill set I don't have, but I can <laughs> like I know what I am good at, and like let's just do that. So I feel like that was such a roundabout answer without well, no, actually. No, I think that's really no, no. I think that's good because the main thing is like keep doing it. Like that's why I I always stress doing what is sustainable because yeah. a lot of people like if they want to start a podcast or a YouTube, they will read articles and those articles sometimes they can make it look easier than it really is. And they'll just say like, well, what you got to do is this. And you don't right. really have to do that because there are people who didn't do it that way. And if once a week for your podcast is too much, don't do once a week. Maybe, yeah. maybe you should do twice a month or once a month. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really good advice. Like, yeah, read stuff to like, give you some context of what other people are doing. I think that's helpful, right. but I, I definitely like, don't treat it. Like this is the, like Edge we're talking about earlier with blueprints. Yeah. Like, this is not a blueprint to how to do this. This is how somebody did it. I had a meeting with someone who is helping because we're doing, we're growing a little bit and doing some cool stuff. And I, I, it was like a consultation of sorts. And he was giving me a lot of feedback and it was very helpful. It's useful to hear someone else tell me like what they're seeing from the outside. That's not mm -hmm. like living and dying by this every day. And he was like, yeah, what I would do, like you're a one man show. You're producing the show. You're running every, like all the clips while you're doing it. He's like, I would just hire like a tech director. 
Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. He's like, probably like 40,000 a year. And I was oh, like, wow. my man, what what do you think I'm bringing in? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and yeah. so like, yes, it was good to be like, oh, in a perfect world, here's what I could do. Sure. But, but you now be let's... with a network that's huge to be paying yeah. somebody 40,000 a 40 year. 40 grand. For that. Get out of here. But then being able to like, okay, if I know I can't do that, but what can I do in this? Like what from this is actionable that I can actually use this information for with like what my goals are, my timeline, my resources. Mm -hmm. And I think like, that's the same thing. Like you read one of those articles, you're like, oh yeah, do one once a week. All right. Well, I don't have the capacity to do it once a week. So maybe I record them over the next like couple of months and then put out six in a row once a week for six weeks. Like there's different ways to do sure, it. Sure, you because know? people do seasons, you know? Right, like, exactly. There's so many different ways to approach it. You don't have to do it the way this person says you do, because that person, so many of those people who are saying stuff, they just were at a conference. And so they were just right. like kind of pulling stuff out of their butt to just yeah, like that's- <laughs> answer the question. Like that happens so often. So often. <laughs> or especially if it's, Here's someone who nobody knows, but they're teaching a webinar mm-hmm. that's really just their Cutco pitch, yeah. <laughs> or Cutco <laughs> Knives pitch for you to, to buy their coaching session. And they're just saying a bunch of standard stuff that's just like the real information will come in my coaching sessions. Like, right, right. Yeah. Well, for you know, $900. Like, this is really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and they exactly. say a lot of you should do this and you got to do that. It's like you literally don't. No, you don't. I, you just find something that you like doing. That's what, like, I love talking about basketball. And then I was like, how can I, what are the skill sets that I already have? How mm-hmm. can I make, how can I tie that into what I'm doing? And it's like, all right, well, I know how to improvise pretty well. We tie that piece in. We know mm-hmm. how to community build. You make them feel part of it. So I, I think it's just like finding something you you're okay talking about, you know, yeah. and then go from there and if whatever, if there's five people for the first like three months, whatever, who cares? Like that's not, you're not going to just become, you're not going to blow up right away. It's going to take some time. Exactly. There it is. Mike, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, man. It was good to catch up. Well, I had a really good time catching up with him, and I hope you enjoyed us catching up and talking about all the stuff he's got going on. Why don't you catch up with him on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Zakarian and on TikTok at Mike Zakarian NBA. And also check out his YouTube channel at Team Hold NFT. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is, and follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes and Instagram at Jason Far Picks, and TikTok at Jason Far Talks. And don't forget, subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to ThereItIsPod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. We have some really great episodes coming up. I can't wait to share them with you. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 